This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and we're once again at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is an Emmy-winning comedy writer and producer who has written for some of the most visible and prominent performers of the past five decades, including Gene Wilder, Peter O'Toole, Madeline Kahn, Alan King, Elaine Stritch, Danny DeVito, Harvey Corman, Flip Wilson, Billy Crystal, Michael Keaton, and even Luciano Pavarotti. <laughs> he scripted variety shows, TV specials, Academy Award telecasts, comedy albums, sitcoms like When Things Were Rotten, Doctor Doctor, The Cosby Show. Uh oh. <laughs> as well as popular feature films, including Wise Guys, Funny About Love, Johnny Dangerously, and one of our favorite comedies, The Mel Brooks Produced My Favorite Year. 43 years ago, he was asked by his mentor, Mel Brooks, along with writers Andrew Bergman and Alan Ugger, and the legendary Richard Pryor to create the screenplay for what is considered by many to be the funniest movie ever made, Blazing Saddles. It is. <laughs> Please welcome to the show a comedy writer's comedy writer and a man who claims, I once led to him being fired, Norman <laughs> Steinberg. <laughs> What a pleasure to be here. Go Welcome, ahead. Norman. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Okay. Now, you actually listen to the show. I love the show. You're I love. I, I, I listen religiously. Sometimes I wear a tallis. <laughs> I, I, I ran into Norman in the street at, a, at an event. I went to see an event, Andrew Bergman. I ran into him in the street, and he said he, he had just listened to the Amy Heckerling episode. Yes. Yeah, and I had worked with Amy, Amy on uh, Johnny Dangerously. Yeah, oh, of course, yeah, she, she was great. She was great. And uh, Andrew, you were interviewing. Uh, oh, uh, Andrew Bergman. Andrew Bergman yeah. was being interviewed. Yeah, by a friend of mine, by yes. uh, Randy Randy Cohen. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah. we got to get to the most important thing, and I think what the world wants to know. <laughs> you claim I got you fired. You from the Cosby <laughs> Show. Happily. <laughs> this Happily. was the Dr. Huxtable. Yeah. yeah. No, no. It, nope. was, it was this second iteration. It was. Oh, my God. Luke it something. It was Cosby. Yeah, yeah. Was, and it was he was His name was Luke uh, something. Now I'm blanking on it. I'm blanking on Bill it Cosby. Was the, it was not the famous Huxtable. The, the no, no. It was not. It was same not same wife. Yeah. They same wife. back. In fact, he had. Fired the original woman who who he who he uh, hired and uh, and and he he hired he said to Felicia you got to come back and and she did and we had a meeting uh, and it was uh, with Les Moonves and and Bill at his house and and uh, Les said hey suppose we we go to Atlantic City and we have Cliff Huxtable 
and the new guy whose name I'm blanking on now too. Oh, the, oh, that, and, that he was kind of like a rapper or something. He, think, no, he know? was a, he was a baggage handler who had a JFK. <laughs> <laughs> who had who had No, no, the who Cosby was a baggage Oh handler. yeah, and Dougie Doug. Dougie Doug. Dougie Doug. Yeah, right, that's right. the one. Yeah. Who's hilarious by the way. And uh so he had been downsized and he was living in Astoria. Uh and uh you know, he was at a, he was supposed to be very angry be, had, at having been fired. And we did an episode and there was a – we did an old vaudeville routine. I think you will remember. You were in jail. I, Niagara Falls. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Slowly Wonderful. I turned. Yes. And Gilbert was in jail and Cosby and Dougie Doug. But it was David Letterman that sprung me David, off. the name David Letterman. Yeah. David, David Letterman. Letterman. Slowly I turned. Because he – David Letterman had stolen your girlfriend. Yes, something, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I I loved the episode. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. It was it was a little crazy, and uh, we did the show. We shot it, and uh, I got a call from one of the producers, one of the owners of the show, and they said uh, Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he's funny? And I said, I think he's hilarious. He said, I don't. Can you cut him out of the show? And I said, Well, you sure, but we won't have a show. But I'll I'll edit it, and we'll see what what transpires. <laughs> so I edited the show, and the producer called Cosby. He was off doing a, a weekend in. Uh, on the West Coast, and uh, said, I hate this show. I hate this episode, and it's your fault. So he came back, and he was angry. And he didn't read the other ep- the new episode, but he wanted to throw it out. And I took a stand, and I said, he was angry because the producer, I'm not going to name him or her, that didn't like the show, and I think, it was difficult for him to hear this, especially from a woman. And and that that occasioned a reading where he just killed two of the writers, two young writers who I had hired. And, and I said, uh, it's not their fault. We all do. We all go over this script. He said, I hate this. This is the next script. I hate this script. And it was all because he was angry that somebody didn't like the previous episode that you ruined. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, uh, we, so I took a stand and I said, this is, uh, no, th- I'm the showrunner. I, I put this on the table and don't blame them to one of the writers who went on, by the way, to do Colbert and uh-huh. is still with this Colbert's producer. A wonderful writer. And um, he turned to the guy at CBS and he's, I, I said, Bill, it's a good script. And he turned to our guy at CBS and he said, what do you think of the script? And alarmingly, the CBS executive said, I think it's a terrific script, Bill. 
And he got up and he said, well, I guess I'm wrong and left the room. And I just, I heard taps playing in my head. That was it. And a half hour later, my agent called and said, they're making a change. Wow. Wow. So that, that was it. And it's funny because... He didn't even offer me a drink. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because when I was hired to do a guest spot on the other... And it was his idea, by the way. He wanted you. Well, because you've been on the old Cosby show a bunch of times. You've been recurring. uh, I, I remember he... When I was on Thick of the Night, that horrible show, that somebody had told me Cosby was like a fan of mine. He had seen some episodes. Yeah. He's the one who suggested you. He wanted to do Niagara Falls. Oh, yeah. And and he said, let's get Gilbert. I said, great. Let's do it. And there you were. And wow. It wasn't, wasn't your fault. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't your fault. No. But I, I was just defending these two young writers. And they lived, I died. I mean, I was gone. See, I heard the reason you were fired is when you said, Miss, don't drink that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he was uh, teaching comedy to Asian models? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you tell me that story? Somebody told me this no, story. No, I don't think it was Norman. When I was on one of the one of the Cosby in, incarnations, <laughs> they said that Bill Cosby sets aside like an hour. It's like in the schedule. <laughs> where he teaches comedy to Asian models. Yeah. And Turkish models. No. I remember when Cosby was on the air, there were so many funny Asian women around. <laughs> <laughs> Asian women were walking down the street going, Hey, but he the, he was famous for a lot of uh, to me at least for a lot of like two a.m. and three a.m. phone calls because he never slept. I mean, listen, I I revere him. He was a comic legend, and I I think this is uh, a tragedy of Shakespearean proportions. It is. And he it said, is, his comedy was special. So what's yeah. the first line on the obituary? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it, yeah. And, and it's like, it's kind of like similar to like Fatty Arbuckle. Yeah. Fatty Arbuckle. Well, was, fatty, but Fatty fat, Arbuckle. But I, fatty was you acquitted. said this the other day. Yeah. He, what did he do? He right. gave somebody a Coke. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and he was like a very successful comedian, Fatty Arbuckle, and had loads of fans. Yeah. And and it's same way you're going to remember Fatty Arbuckle when you bring up Bill Cosby. Oh, he was that guy who was raping all those women. Yeah, you know? yeah. that's that's going to be it, and that's sad because what what he did for comedy, and you were you probably saw him as uh, as he was coming up. David Steinberg was coming oh yeah, up sure, sure. At the same time, and Klein, and I mean, it was it was a great great period for comics. That it, it it really was. Interesting that it took 128 guests to find somebody who actually went to bat for you. Some, oh, some point in your career. <laughs> All uh, the other guests were going, sure, no. we'll fire Gilbert. <laughs> fire, I've been a, I've been a fan, now. I'll tell you how long, since you did the Honeymooners. 
with with James James Mason as as oh, uh, Ralph. That's how Crandon. long you've been a fan of his. Oh, that, yeah. I, and Richard I love Burton as Norton. Yeah, and Jack Nicholson <laughs> as Alex. Yeah. Wow. The Honeymooners, the motion picture. James Mason is Ralph Cramden. Alice. Norton and I are going to play pool. And after that, we'll go bowling. Richard Burton has not. I can't go bowling with you, Rat. You see, unbeknownst to me, Trixie's mother is coming over. Oh, you're right, Norton. Holds up. I love that. We have Joyce Randolph coming in here too in a couple of weeks, and we should pull that out for her. She'd be very impressed. The only living member of the honeymoon. That's it. No, I saw you did it live. Or you you had a special. Yeah, I had a special, but I used to be a maniac all the time. you You won my heart. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. And now back to the show. But you stood up for me. I think I, I did. I That's did. The beautiful and story. I, I, you did. Yeah, I did. You're the I, only. You're the only little, guest so far. I am a fan of uh, a fan of comics and co- and comedy. And, uh, you know, that's, that's been my life and your life and your life. And well, you, I, I remember what, what stands out to me about the uh, – aside from the fact that Cosby wanted me personally, is it was already a big show. And that show that I was on, for some reason, uh, the next day in the papers, it broke all records of the most watched sitcom ever on TV, that episode. Of, of the show that we – Yeah. The old yeah. Cosby show? The the old Cosby show. Oh, the old, yeah, yeah. yeah. the original Huxley. You know, it was weird with that. The second one with Luke, where he's the baggage handler. <laughs> that show seemed like it never really knew what kind of a show it was supposed to be. Well, it was adapted from a, a British show, and uh, Cosby would never would wouldn't. The British show was an angry show. Like Archie Bunker, like Till Death Us Do Part. Right. And he refused to go there because yeah. he, w- he had his image and what he well, – his image of himself and, and his public image. And, and he, he wouldn't – interestingly enough, I mean, you know, and I, again, I'm, uh, I'm not here to trash Bill because I, uh, I do revere him and I, what, what he's done uh, for comedy. Um, but this, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he was such a genius. I mean, we, when we would write a scene and, and if it didn't work, he, uh, I'd go up to him afterwards because we reshoot it. He said, I got an idea. And he, there was one point where he did, I think it was, it was like, a 
a 17-minute monologue off the top of his head. And, I mean, it, it was breathtaking. Just just stuff that he had remembered and about him. Uh, uh, he was trying to teach a lesson to a young, uh, a young black uh, man who graduated from Harvard who was dating his daughter. And, I, and the punchline was, that's what, that's the downfall of of all black men. Harvard, <laughs> how he got there, but but it was but it was it was genius, brilliant, it was and genius. certainly brilliant. I, to this day. I, I remember uh, when when I was doing the Cosby one where he's Huxtable, that one day Milton Berle stopped by the set, and I was standing there watching Berle and Cosby talk to each other, and both of them were basically performing for each yeah. other in conversation. And it was, to me, it was like the greatest lesson in comedy. Cosby would stretch out his stories and go into detail. <laughs> Milton Berle would go for the quickest shtick that he yeah. could do. And two eras. Yeah, two different yeah. comedy Oh, errors. yes, yeah. but both hysterical. Yeah. First time that I met him was on the Flip Wilson show. And Flip would have, I mean, he had everybody. You were a writer on that show yes. and you won an Emmy. That was, yeah, that yeah. was my first big job. Just going to ask you about it. Uh, but Cosby would come on the show and Flip Flip would have a, a rehearsal and he would have cue cards. Uh, just just him. And he he wanted to hear this stuff. And, and the cue cards, he'd start reading it and invariably he would cut everybody's lines. Just go like this, and the, and the lines were out. And Cosby was left with with shrugs, and and still got more laughs than Flip. I mean, it was just the looks and the glances, and I mean, it was um, Flip. There was one scene where Flip said, "I I want you to do my eulogy," and Cosby was left with, uh, "I'd be." Uh, I'd be thrilled to do that. He said, and I want you to come to the cemetery with me and ride with me. I mean, with the coffin. And, 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 that was, and, that, and Cosby got every laugh with his looks and his yeah. grimaces. Wow. He's a genius. You, you loved a, Flip Wilson too, didn't you? You loved working for him. You've Flip said, Wilson, well, it was, it was, the, nice it was my launching. Yeah. And uh, he was... I, what I loved about Flip was that he also loved comics, and uh, he he was adorable. Uh, it was it was amazing because no, he just burst on the scene. We were the number one show, just like that. I love that show. You remember the oh, the Church of What's Happening Now? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and you know what was funny about the Flip Wilson show was they would always have like an odd assortment of guests that didn't seem to match up right. with each yeah, other, exactly. which yeah. made it even more fun. Yeah. yeah. So it was like Ed, the black version of Ed Sullivan. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> a, true, a true variety show. Yeah, this guy's going to come out and lift up a table with his teeth. And one of your one of your early jobs, and you won an Emmy. And I was telling yeah. Gilbert and Cliff before, who handed you your Emmy? Jimmy Durante. Wow. What a, what a thrill. I had a borrowed velvet suit on. Fantastic. And uh, that my mother hemmed up the the, the cuffs. <laughs> I love it. It was it was great, and uh, uh, I, it was just happenstance. I had done the Robert Klein show, and I was out in California. Comedy doing, Tonight. Comedy Tonight. Yeah. And I was out in California doing 
the second uh, – you remember David Fry. Oh, sure. Yes. We talked oh about him on God, this show. Yeah. yeah. We just they, had Will Jordan on here. Yeah. David – I mean, he was a genius. Yeah. And uh, a person probably with no life. And But he – he you'd see him in the bathroom doing faces. And we did – we did the, the first album, I Am the President, and we got a Grammy. My first two jobs, we got a Grammy. I didn't get it. The album got a Grammy. Right. And then Flip Wilson, uh, a, a, a an Emmy. Yeah. And I was out in California and I ran into Robert Klein on the street and at Sunset Boulevard across from the comedy store. And he's, I was staying in this motel. There was a motel across the street where – this Leonard Barr. Oh, sure. oh my God. Oh, Leonard Dean Barr. Martin's Dean Martin's uncle. uncle. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I remember Leonard yes. Barr. Yes. Very well. Lived, like the lived funny it. walk or funny dancer. He was a funny guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Loved him. <laughs> and he was, in, and I ran into Robert and he said, oh, you got to come out. You got to come out to Burbank. I'm doing a Flip Wilson show. So I, I went out to see it and I, I met the head writer and who was a guy named Herb Baker whose mother, you, you'll know this. Maybe. Belle Baker. The name sounds familiar. She was like Cl- the road Cl- show. Cliff would know. She's like the road show uh, Sophie Tucker. Okay. And uh, his byline, somebody said about him, he says, Herb Baker, never met a man I didn't adore. And the show, they needed another writer, and so they hired me and my partner, Alan Uger, who lasted a he left after two weeks. He was homesick. And then, we apologized to, to Alan for mispronouncing his name in the intro. Um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Alan Uger. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, but it was, uh, I was writing alone, and then Flip was so kind that George Carlin was, hadn't done the seven words you can't say. Yeah. And he hired him to do the hippy dippy weatherman. Yeah. And he made him my partner. So we wrote we wrote a sketch that uh, uh, Tim Conway did, which was basically the president's the 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 president the guy uh, he was the president and Flip cleaned the president's office and the president of the United uh-huh. States and and Tim Conway was the president and Flip would come in and the president would be sitting there knitting his brow and Flip would say get up. Instead, of, he and and it was it was Flip telling him how to run the country essentially, and that they did that character uh, for a couple of years. I only I I quit after the first year because I wanted to come home. You wanted to leave L.A. I wanted come to back, leave come LA. back to Brooklyn. What great days! You and George Carlin collaborating on a it was, Tim Conway sketch was, <laughs> on the Flip Wilson show. It was the best. We worked that whole year. It's great, uh, and he he was. A, an absolute delight and a genius. And and right after that, uh, he took off. That He did that album and, and that did it. He right. was on his way. Right, right. Went, Tell us a little bit about David Fry, uh, what kind of person he was. Because he's always uh, struck us as a little idiosyncratic, a little odd. Um, his name's come up. He seemed like one of those people – who he had to be those characters, he had to, or yeah. else he didn't he had exist. No, there was nothing he could own. Well, Sid Caesar was like that. Oh yeah, it's the same. They had to, 
get into character. Yeah, I've heard Peter, that about Jonathan Winters. Peter Sellers, mm-hmm. another one. Yeah. They yeah. said if he wasn't doing a character, he didn't exist. There was a, a thing with Sid. Uh, they had all the writers uh, in L.A. Uh, at the – I think it was at the Writers Guild. And they were they were honoring Sid. And uh, it was all, all the, you know, 27 Yankees. It was oh, sure. Mel and Larry Galbart. Tolkien and Woody. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Woody wasn't oh, there. Oh, uh, uh, Neil Simon. Neil Simon. Yeah. Um, and, and Sid got up to accept the award and make, make some remarks. And he had he – ju- he just couldn't get it together. And Mel, Mel leaned over and said, Sid, do it in German. <laughs> Great. And, 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 if I, and the Fry was the same way. He couldn't. He was a non-person. Yeah, he didn't. I, there's a bunch of them like that, like Peter Sellers, a, a bunch that just don't exist. Yeah. And the funny thing is, every time, and it's. I remember an article when Nixon came out, uh, Anthony Hopkins. They they had photos and names of every single person in comedy or drama yeah. who has been Nixon. And the one left out, of course, is David Fry, who all these other people doing Nixon were doing David Fry. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He, he could, was the, he was and and his Buckley was, oh, was yes. incredible. Oh yes. Incredible. That uh, that yes. was astonishing. In, in but fact, you, Robin Williams does David Fry's Buckley <laughs> and Aladdin? Yeah, I mean those. Well, all those guys are a little strange, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> oh, yeah. And they have to become, they have to become someone else, and and they they lose they lose their identity, their sense of being, their purpose in yeah. life. I remember Fry used to like stick his tongue out as Buckley <laughs> and make his eyes pop out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to. Uh, when we did the album, he wanted to know if his name was going to be on it. <laughs> very strange. <laughs> Which is so very strange. Very strange. Yeah. And uh, the last time I saw him was at a a, a urinal in. <laughs> sorry, oh, God, it's fun. Moose, Musso and Frank. Oh sure. He yeah. said, David, how are you? He said, I'm 52 years old and I can't pee. David Steinberg told a story that he uh, David was uh, co was guest hosting the Tonight Show, and they warned him when David Fry comes out. Oh yeah, don't try to ask him a a question or get him in a conversation. Just tell him to do his voices like Nixon and all the others. And and he comes out, sits down, and David just goes, "Hey, Dave, how you doing?" And 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 Fry goes, "How am I doing? What what's what's he talking about? How am I doing?" And he's looking around, he's panicking, yeah, yeah. and then he goes, "Well, I mean, how are you doing with Nixon?" <laughs> and it was fine. That set him off. No, I it was. Yeah, he was he, he was an idiot savant. I mean, yeah. I, I, he had this peculiar talent that uh, uh, it was astonishing, and that that album took off. Oh that yeah, was, it was the second one 
Then we did the, did the second one with uh, Mickey Rose was the head writer. And so Woody it, Allen's old yeah, guy, yeah. yeah, Mickey Rose, yeah, yeah. I went, I went out to California and did that, but that that it was called Radio Free Nixon. It just it wasn't it it it, it was so fresh when he came out. Oh like, yeah, like Vaughn Meter, but the, you know that was it, one and out. So you're a Brooklyn kid, as yeah. we established, right? And you were a lawyer. You were not a comedy writer originally, right. and you met somebody in Shock Full of Nuts <laughs> yeah. that turned things around. That guy. Yeah, I was uh, at 57th and 7th, and I, I was a— uh, Not far from uh, here. Yeah, I was a um, an entertainment lawyer, and I hated myself. And every morning I'd go down to Chalk Full of Nuts, and there was Mel Brooks. And I said, uh, I, I just literally pulled on his coat. And said, <laughs> really, Mel, I loved him. I, the first time I saw him was in the theater lobby. Which brings me to somebody asked Mel, what does a Jew need? And he said, a Jew needs a lobby. (laughs) 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 We get it, right? I mean, it's like, what's what's the greatest invention? Saran wrap, right? I mean, that's the same kind. At any rate, I I, I said, uh, I want to be a comedy writer. I want to be a comedy writer. He said, uh, he put his hands on my shoulders and looked deeply into my eyes and said, leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I didn't. And one day, uh, like all writers, and they're so, we're very kind people. I'd like Uh, to think so. Yeah. Yeah. And he handed me a piece of paper. He said, call this guy. And the guy was the producer of, Get smart. Leonard Stern. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, you want to be a writer, Mel tells me. I said, yeah. He said, write something. Write a script for the show. I'll read it. I never written a script. I sat down, wrote a script, sent it to him, and he called me. And he said, well, actually, Chris Hayward called me, and he he said, this, this is a wonderful script, and if the show is picked up, we'll buy it. And I went in the next day and quit. You quit your law job. Yeah. 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 Good for you. And that, that was, Mel was, at that point, was, had two failed movies, uh, The Producers and 12 Chairs. Right. And he said, what do you want to be a writer? Look at me. He says, he says, I'm buying a crawler. Leave me alone, please. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, I, he said, all right, I got a rich wife. But, uh, you know, it, he, and it, I went and did the Flip Wilson show, did right. uh, comedy tonight. But I went, uh, when I quit Flip Wilson, that's how life works out. Mm-hmm. It's around uh, 72, 70, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I said, uh, it was 71. Really. 71. I, I said, uh, they said, you got an Emmy. You come, you know, you're going to make, you, I was making 750 bucks a week and I was going to, 1200 a week, which was astonishing to me. Uh, and I said, no, I have to go home. And so I came back and I was looking, looking for work. And I got a job, same guy who gave me my f- first two jobs, Gary Belkin, who was a writer on your show of shows. Mm-hmm. And he said one of the great things to me as, as a writer. I said, um, how can I ever repay you? He gave me the Robert Klein show, 
and and also the 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 job on the David Fry album, and he said, "Pass it on." That was and every time I say that, I get a chill because then it was like you have these epiphanies, and you say, "I'm going to dedicate myself to doing that." And you're still doing that. Today still doing that with your students. Still, yeah, yeah, I. I but I'm going back to writing. Good. <laughs> Good. And we jump around here a lot, Norman. But I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump to a, a phone call uh, from uh, from Mel after he got his hands on uh, on a script. Yeah. From a guy named Andrew Bergman, who we just talked about. Yeah. So Andrew Bergman, who everybody should know, the yeah. writer director of The Freshman and Honeymoon in Vegas, and by the way, Andy's son is on this new show, which you should watch, called. Good Girls Revolt okay. on Amazon about Newsweek and when Nora Ephron did it. His son, Teddy, is a wonderful actor and is, is a regular on the show. Well, look for it. Yeah. And and Andrew also wrote the uh, movie, little movie called The In-Laws. So a, movie, a, a script that he'd written called Tex X. Tex X. And it had a lot of different titles. Yeah. Found its way uh, into Mel Brooks's hands. And he, didn't, he usually didn't direct things that he hadn't written. But decided to take it on, yeah. And then at some point in the process, you got a phone call. Well, it wasn't a phone call. We, I was doing another uh, Gary Belkin job. We were doing Aquacade and Acapulco. Oh, the one with Stiller and Mira. Yes, yes. <laughs> you like that title, Gilbert? Uh, yes. Aquacade in yeah. Aquapulco. And, and that didn't make it. <laughs> Stiller and Mira. <laughs> Ed Mc, your host, Ed McMahon. And Tony Randall. Tony Randall. Yes, and the Aquamaniacs. Oh, God. <laughs> and a guy named Henry Lamoth who would dive from 40 feet into 40 inches of water. <laughs> and, and so I did the show, and Mel was on the show as, as a performer. Oh, that's right, that's right. He needed the, story the money, wrong. he said. And it was 10 days in Acapulco. Anne was pregnant with, you know, Ma- Max. Max was, son. right. Who is the king of the zombies? Sure, he wrote. He wrote World War Z. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And so we were all in Acapulco, and Mel said uh, said to me, which was we wrote a sketch together, which he played sort of a Nazi, (laughs) 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 and I played a bellhop, and I delivered a package to him, and he said, "Here, hold this for me in the pool." Because it was ticking. And I, I went off camera. I had a nice uniform on, and and the, there was a uh, an explosion, and all my gold buttons came flying into frame. And Mel looked at it and said, "Oh, that's such a beautiful uniform." <laughs> and, and he said, "There was a human being in that uniform." <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> but after those ten days. We just, uh, he said, I want to write with you, which was astounding to me. And he said, I got a script, and would you read it and tell me if you think it's funny? And it was Andy's script. It was great. And and how did Andy come up with the idea? Andy was working at United Artists. This is a story I, I, I think is true. And he, over his desk, he had this, there was a poster of Jimi Hendrix on a horse. It, it had been around one of those rock Yeah, posters. I know the poster. Yeah, with yeah. a guitar. Yeah. And he kept staring at this poster, and it was the light bulb, a black sheriff in the Old West. 
and that was it. And he just he just went with it and wrote a script and got I I think twenty five thousand bucks, which they were initially going to do with Alan Arkin directing, right? And James Earl Jones playing yep. the sheriff, playing Black Bart. <laughs> oh, can yeah. you imagine? Jeez. <laughs> and he also wrote uh, he also wrote The Scout, if you remember that. Oh, uh, yes, I like that one, too. And that, that was supposed to be John Belushi. Oh. John Belushi was going to play it, and, and, I don't, and Andy was going to direct it, but it, it ended up with— Michael Ritchie, I think. Yeah, and Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks. Yeah. Uh, but it, that, that script was really funny, and we redid the story, and— even though Mel will tell it differently, he looked around the room, Alan Uger, me, uh, Andy, and Mel. He said, I'm looking at four Jews. <laughs> <laughs> we, need a, we need a gentleman of color. So I had worked with Richard on, the, on uh, Flip Wilson. And so I said, I'll call him. I think he's the funniest, funniest man in the world. And I called him and he I said, Richie, we're, we're doing this film with Mel Brooks. And it, he like lost his breath. He said, Mel Brooks? Mel Brooks? He couldn't even get the name out. He wow. said, I'll, he was thrilled. I said, you want to do it? He said, yes, I, I need train fare. They sent him. There was only one hotel in New York that would take him because he had stiffed everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> he was at the plaza. And he said, I need a ticket for me and my woman. And they came in and uh, he was, he, you know, have, did you ever work with Richard? Or uh, you- yeah, yeah. I, I worked with him on the last of the Gene Wilder, oh. Richard Pryor. It was a horrible, horrible Another you. film. Oh. But what I remember about Pryor, it was the first time I had ever spoken to him. So I worked with two mm. weeks there. And Pryor was, like, very quiet, and he followed me around like I was a major comedy legend and he was just an annoying kid. (laughs) And he would go and goes, you are so funny with the problem child movies and even when you're not trying to be funny, you're funny. (laughs) And and I thought, wow. What a compliment. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I I was in awe because to have these two two guys in in the room going, he lasted three weeks. <laughs> but, but, what happened? There's conflicting stories. He disappeared in Cleveland or Detroit, uh, Chicago, Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. He called. And I've he heard said, three versions of this. I lost my wallet, but <laughs> <laughs> he literally said he he wanted to go back because he ran out of coke. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it wasn't hiding anything. Of course, which plays into why Warner Brothers was was reluctant to use them. But then in, after in, that, in they the had that run of... of uh, it's so right, wild right. that... It's weird how that turned out. I guess it was Mel Brooks' idea to hire Pryor well, for Blazing Saddles. Well, I mean, I wanted I, to, we, to well, be on we, screen. We they wouldn't they would they wouldn't stand for it. They said no. We can't. We don't know. It'll disappear. And right? then a couple of years later, he teams up with Wilder, yeah. and exactly. they're like Abbott and Costello. What a weird <laughs> twist! Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, and the, the super uh, I call it Super Chief Silver Streak. Silver Streak. Yeah. yeah. Was um, he was just sort of a a, a pop up store in that you know he right. he just 
appeared in the in the back seat, and uh, it was Gene's picture. I mean, Gene, you know, he's a, another genius who who walked into Blazing Saddles. We had lost. We had Dan Daly. We went the first person we asked to play that role. The Waco Kid. Yeah, was Johnny Carson. And I went to the Tonight Show with Mel. That's amazing. And we went into the dressing room, and he and he said he had sent the script over, and he and he said, uh, "We really would love you to do this. It's it's like Dean Martin and Rio Bravo, right? And you play a drunk. You've had a few drinks in your life, you know. Do it, do it." And Johnny said, "This is what I do, Mel." And he was right. Let him in the same way. Gil, I have to talk to you about MeUndies. Oh, yes. Uh, they are made from sustainably sourced Modal, which is a fabric that's twice as soft as cotton. And that's why, once you put them on, you realize why they're called the world's most comfortable underwear. And I think if you have MeUndies, forget spending money on silk underwear. Oh, yeah, I swear to God, yeah, it feels like silk. Very, very comfortable. It's like a, it's like a pillowcase around your junk. Yeah. <laughs> and... This this is absolutely true. When the mic wasn't on, yeah, and we were just about to do this, you said, you know, it really is good underwear. I wasn't kidding. And and I said, yeah. yeah and yeah. both of us right now, whether you want to think about it or not, both of us are wearing me undies. Oh, I want to think about it. Yeah, I'll think about it tonight <laughs> when I get home. I'm wearing my blue and orange stripes because I'm a Met fan and that's and also a fan of the '64 World's Fair. If you don't love, here's the best part. If you don't love your first pair of me undies, they're free. No questions asked. Which sounds like and, something Sheldon Leonard should yes. be saying in a mob movie. <laughs> no questions asked. Uh, and shipping is free in the U.S. Gill and Canada, and you can save up to eight bucks a pair with me undies subscription plan. So not only are they comfortable underwear, it's a great deal. And they're called the most comfortable underwear in the world. And they really are. They really are. Get the subscription or a single pair. You get 20% off your first order, which is a good deal, when you go to MeUndies.com slash Gilbert. That's MeUndies.com slash Gilbert for 20% off your first order. MeUndies.com slash Gilbert. There's a famous story Mel Brooks has told that they they also wanted Gig Young. We had Gig Young. Well, wait a minute. You started out with Carson for Car- the Waco no, Kids. Carson, we got then, went to Dan. Then Daly. Dan Daly. Dan Daly was great song. He and just didn't man. think he could do it. He wasn't strong enough. Also, you know, uh, as they say, he was fond of his jar. You know, <laughs> and, and we, right. So then he hired Gig Young. Right. Gig Young came in at eight o'clock in the morning. Said hello, and then fainted and that we were literally literally amazing hit the floor yeah he was drunk uh tragically after that he 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 killed his girlfriend yeah, he took and his himself. life a sad yeah. ending and academy award winner good actor they I mean, shoot he horses was a wonderful actor yeah. and and he also was supposed to be the voice of charlie and charlie's angels wow and, uh, that, and i didn't know that yeah that's cool and yeah. uh, the day that they were going to be recording, he was bombed. And so at the last minute, they called John Forsythe and said, could you come over here? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was it. That was, What a gig. What a gig for us. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was he was great. And then Mel just called. I mean, I, I thought it was because you go from 
gig young Dan Daly to Gene. I mean, it's this curly haired Jew. Right. You know, where, <laughs> right. does that, where does that come from? It's hysteric, but he was magnificent. Now you he can't was, imagine anybody else doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Right. I mean, uh, that, because he just that, owns it. That was, uh, uh, and Mel, Mel has a great, great, great sense of, of casting. I mean, he really, uh, did he discover Madeline Kahn? No, but uh, he knew how to use her. And she was on the, as you know. Oh, yes, yes, on that Cosby show. On the Cosby I don't, I don't know what she was doing there, but I, she was a, a dear friend. And I, and I said, Madeline, she said, you know, I grew up in Queens and my best friends were always African-Americans. And I would go, I would go to their houses because my house was dull and they were so jolly. And we would sing, <laughs> we would sing, and we would dance. She was, she. There's a there's a line in Blazing Saddles where uh, they've just had uh, she and, and and the sheriff have had their night together mm-hmm. with the Schnitzengruben. The Schnitzengruben, <laughs> and he and he leaves. Uh, and he said, "No, I got to get some vitamin C." And he and I got right. I got to go. Right, and she. Uh, vitamin E. It and depends he, on how much and, vitamin E I yeah. get my hands on. Would you care for another Schnitzengruben? No, thank you. Fifteen is my limit on Schnitzengruben. Well, then, uh, how about a little, uh... Baby, please, I am not from Havana. Excuse me, honey. Besides, I'm late for work. I got some heavy chores to do. Well, I... Will I see you later? Well, it all depends on how much vitamin E I can get my hands on. Nein, nein, Achtung. Bitte, no, no, you mustn't go. I, I need you. I never met nobody like you. I can't live without you. Du hast gemacht mein entire Leben. Please. And he, he leaves and she throws herself against the door and just says, what a nice guy. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> she was so adorable. It's funny you mentioned the casting in that movie. Every part, I mean, from Harvey Corman to Slim Pickens and the and the and the the, the lesser roles, Robert Ridgely as the hangman. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and David the great David Huddleston. Oh. And George Firth, who's yeah. a big theater uh, figure, and Liam Dunn and everybody in that movie is you can't take your eyes off them. They're I just, all perfect. I, I just saw the uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda piece on PBS, mm-hmm. and it was with Stephen Sondheim, mm-hmm. and uh, he mentioned how uh, what a great influence George Firth sure. was. But he wrote the the books for people don't know that. Yeah, yeah, they don't know his other life. Uh, I I heard that Mel Brooks was very big on wanting to know if someone was musically talented. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's got a great ear. Now, I mean, he listen. He he wrote the the producer score. I saw I saw him. I was on Seventy Ninth Street, Madison Avenue, and he was hailing a cat. And I knew he was writing writing the producers as a Broadway musical. I said, uh, "Where are you going?" Well, we're doing the musical, and uh, with Tom Meehan, a wonderful writer, and I. Said what? Uh, I said, "Who's doing the music?" He said, "I am," and lyrics, "I am," and I said, "I have two words of advice for you." He said, "What? Candor and ebb." 
<laughs> no, but he he really did it. He really did it. I mean, those are well, those songs like yeah. "I'm Tired." Yeah, yeah, in in Blazing Saddles and and, and, and high anxiety, high anxiety, high anxiety. hysterical. That and the the Sinatra rendition that he does. Oh is yes, great. anxiety. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's no, he's he's terrifically musical. That's why I love Terry Gar and and Madeline, of course. Oh, it's and, like when you yeah. think of the great one, like the Marx Brothers yeah. were all musicians. And, yeah. Charlie yeah, Chaplin was a composer. Well, you've said that on this show that there's something that there's some connection between hearing music and hearing comedy. Yeah. Well, it's, the time, it's, the timing and tempo. It's, yeah. it's like when you hear. That's what was so horrible about the Bud and Lou story with Harvey Korman <laughs> right. and Buddy Hackett. <laughs> yeah, we love Harvey it's, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, both were are were great stars. Yeah. I mean, both him and Buddy Hackett, but ye. The timing. And, and but when you hear Abbott and Costello do Who's on First, it's like it's so it's, yeah, musical. It, is, it, is musical. it really is. Absolutely. You're it, caught up in the rhythm of it. Harvey is Harvey was such a dear person. We had a mutual friend who was one of the great great writers, uh, uh, orchestrators, writers uh for film, Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, he's a legend. And, we talk about uh, him on this show. Jerry was dying. And he was one of my best friends. And he, uh, Harvey and I would take him out for dinner. He just wanted to laugh. And and Harvey was so kind and so caring. that I'm, I'll never forget that. And so as Jerry was dying, um, he said, he asked me, would you write, would you write? The, oh, his father had died at the age of 106. Jerry was 75. Wow. And he said, would you write my eulogy, the eulogy for my dad? Because I, I I can't do it. So I wrote the eulogy and he said, I, I wanted to deliver it, but would you please deliver it? I said, yes. And I said, but I'm going to tell a joke. And it it's not my joke. It's Mel's joke, but I'm going to tell it. And he said, tell me the joke. I said, okay. Mars Goldsmith died at the age of 106, he was asking for it. That's a great joke. And and I went back afterwards and he said, uh, did he get a laugh? I said, standing ovation. He loved it. Loved That's it. great. So I just wanted to laugh. I, I heard Harvey, Harvey Corman Corman. strikes me as one of those people who was very funny on stage, but not a funny person off stage. No, he was. He was? He was. He was not only that, uh, yeah. he was sweet. Aww. He was really sweet. And, and, and so's Tim. Yeah. So is, and so's Carol. I mean, I, I, I never worked with her, but everybody loved her. And, uh, and he and, and Tim were actually close friends. I yeah. Heard. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, Tim is, you know, Tim's old man, that, that walk. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, we, we got we got to get Tim on this show. We got to make that happen. Well, he was. We had him on. We had him on Cosby. Yeah, and I. It was great. E easy as pie to work with. W wonderful. No, no. Trouble. I worked with him on an award show, and he was just so sweet. And yeah, so funny and, so, and humble. Yeah, humble and modest. Yeah. Happy. Yeah. happy to be working. Yeah. The other thing about Blazing Saddles, I just wanted to say, is one rewatching it, and my wife and I will make an excuse to watch it every month. 
the the love of movies. There's a oh, re- yeah. references to Hedy, obviously Hedy Lamar, yeah. <laughs> but Cecil B. DeMille joke. There's a Douglas Fairbanks joke. There's the Richard Dix joke. <laughs> There's the Laurel and Hardy handshake, which is just one of the fantastic jokes in the movie. It's a Gabby Hayes joke. Oh, yeah. It is so steeped in in, in uh, your guy's love of movies. Yeah. You know, this is like, who are the five movie buffs that sat in the room? left out Randolph Scott. And Randolph Scott, of course. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about the writing process, because prior bowed out early. You guys were so it was you, it was uh, it was symbiotic. Yeah, um, Mel wanted to recreate uh, your show of shows. Right, that's what I. That's heard. what that's what he wanted, and uh, we we had instant I mean, except for Alan who left mm-hmm. left after one week. Uh-huh. But and and in a blast of that I don't understand. Mel kept his name on the script. I mean, uh, which was very kind. Yeah. Very, uh, almost two kinds, but okay. But we, the, the Richard came in and ignited the room, really, because uh, it was, it, everybody in the room was, was uh, so kind to each other and so giving. And there was, there was no, uh, Mel, uh, Later, later in life, when I did my favorite year, he he called me. There was a script. Asked me to rewrite it, and he said, "It's Mel Brooks meets Errol Flynn on the show of shows." And I said, uh, "I'll write it, but I'm I'm going to not going to write you." And he said, "Why?" I said, "Too abrasive." You're, you're too you're, you're too abrasive. I, I, love I said, it. "I'm going to write myself." He said, "Okay, fine." You, the yeah. character was even named yeah. Steinberg yeah. in my favorite yeah. year. Yeah. Was there a reason you called? Only to remind you that you're coming here for dinner tomorrow night. Oh, no, Ma, I can't make it. Alan Swan's on the show, and they made me his keeper. Alan Swan from the movies? Yeah. Rookie Alan Swan from the movies. So bring him along. Bring Alan Swan to Brooklyn? Well, why not? What are you ashamed of? Everything. It's funny, with my favorite year, I always thought the story of Mel Brooks and Errol Flynn was where it came from. But you said it it's a much older story. <laughs> Errol Flynn, Basil Rathbone did your show of shows. Errol Flynn wow. was I wrap not, my mind around that. Was not, <laughs> And and in, in point of fact, Dick Benjamin, when he came into the picture, he he said um, this should be an amalgam of Errol Flynn and John Barrymore, which was a stroke of genius. And and there's a line in it. Um, he uh, Alan, Alan Swan goes into the ladies' room, and and it's a Barrymore line that Dick came up with with when. Selma Diamond comes in and said, "This is for ladies only." And he and he's holding his yeah. dick and says, "So is this, Marm?" But occasionally, <laughs> you remember that gag, I, Occasionally, I have to run some water through. Right, <laughs> that was a Barrymore line, wow. and he was abs- And and then to go full circle, when uh, Peter O'Toole came into the picture, uh, he Barrymore was his idol. And and so much so that, um, in fact, the, the other thing was that they didn't 
the studio did not want Peter O'Toole. They were afraid of him the same way Warner Brothers was afraid of uh, of uh, Richie, because they said, "Well, he's you know he's a drunk. He says he doesn't drink anymore. He doesn't have a stomach left." They literally took out a stomach, and they said, "No, no, get Albert Finney." Uh, so we we met with Albert Finney. Mel and uh, and I and Dick Benjamin and Mike Gruskoff, the producer, and he's he said, uh, "I'm tired. I have uh, I just did Annie, and and shoot the moon, right? And I need a rest." And he said, "But I'm going to say something." And I said this once before. He said, "I will do this if you wait for me, but it'll be six months." And. Well, I've said this once before. O'Toole's your man. How about that? And I and the, that was so generous. At one actor to him, he said, he said we were. He is this character, and they were in Rada together. And he said, when Barrymore died, O'Toole tried to drink himself to death. <laughs> and, and he said, "That's that's how." So he had to play it because they were connecting. Absolutely, the, the dots were connecting. Benjamin yeah. was saying, "This is Barry Moore." He had a, a, a fondness for Barry Moore. It just Absolutely. everything fell into place. But the last time, the the first time he said it, Finney, Lawrence of Arabia, they offered it to him first. I didn't know that. That's great. He said, and he was. It was after, if you remember, Tom Jones. Yeah. Oh that, yeah. Uh, that great. He film. was hot. Yeah, right. and he was he was dashing and handsome, and you know he was a a, a real matinee idol. So that that was uh, you know that I, I mean it, it was <laughs> it was so generous, and we wanted O'Toole, we but this did it this did it for the studio. They and said, what was O'Toole like to work with? He was a dream. He was not. There was only one day that he didn't show up. And it was a day in the script where he doesn't show up. <laughs> but he, he was he was steady, and he was it was like Peter like uh, Peter Sellers. There was the, he couldn't have brown things in his. The Sellers couldn't have couldn't have purple, right? I mean that say there was a, you can't have anything purple near him. That that was a writer in his contract. Yeah, that was. <laughs> he asked for nothing, maybe just twelve bottles of of uh, Perrier. Um, he was he knew every single line in the film, and when he when we offered to him, I, I said to him, he said, "Say poet," and he I said, "Why are you doing this?" He said the last scene was a shot of Marklin Baker, who uh, was discovered in this. Sure, Marklin Baker goes to the uh, to the grave, Alan Swan's grave, and pours a bottle of Hague and Hague Pinch on the on the grave, and the camera. And he said, "Here, I hope some of this gets to you, you you crazy bastard." And the camera tilts up and it says Alan Swan at peace and it has a date. And he said, uh, where did you get the date of death? I said, just out of thin air. And, I, and it was. He said, it's me birthday. 
Interesting. And, and wow. that put him that he's he had to do it. He had to do it. So I mean, he was he was a dream. He and Richard uh, Richard Benjamin was also the, one of the one of the sweetest men who ever lived. So you had a great experience. Right. One oh, of these things a, where everything was in a state of grace. It, it, yeah. it truly was. Yeah. Truly. Oh, and one thing I have to once again jump out of place. How did they make the fart sounds in Blazing <laughs> Saddle? Melded them. Yeah. On his arm. I'd say you've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> the hand under the yeah. armpit. <laughs> 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 well, you know, you a movie you could not watch on regular television, by the way, because the scene is, among <laughs> other scenes, the, the scene doesn't exist. <laughs> the um, I, I, it, they had in the Australian premiere they had a bean supper. Yeah. <laughs> so people were farting all over the place. But he told you the one line that, which surprised me that he didn't put in. Uh, oh, yeah. In, I saw him at Radio City yeah, a couple of weeks the, ago. The, the scene with Madeline uh, and, and Cleavon, and uh, the lights are out, and she says, Is it true what they say about how you people are gifted? Which was her word, which <laughs> I, I, I love. Yeah. Gifted. <laughs> And he's, and then there's a zip, and you hear, oh, it's true, it's true, <laughs> woof, it's true, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, Miss von Stupp, but you're licking my arm, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's the one thing the studio made him take out. Yeah, they, it, we went. You're sucking my arm. You're biting my arm. <laughs> he wouldn't. Uh, they Mel took it out. The studio he did. Didn't, oh, Mel took it out. The studio didn't take it out. I mean, with all the other stuff in it. It's just, why take that? I'd heard that Hitchcock was a big Blazing Saddles fan. He was. And I personally showed uh, Ilya Kazan. Wow. I call him Gadge. But he was on He was on the lot doing uh, with De Niro. Oh, The Last Tycoon. The Last Tycoon. And I got a call. They said, Mr. Kazan would like to see Blazing Saddles. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So I arranged a screening, and I went up, and I, I got to meet him. And I, I didn't want to sit with him, I, I, and I, I left. And and he called afterwards and said he loved it. It was hilarious, and he, he uh, it was very, it was a real gentleman, even, I, even though he sent people to prison. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. well yeah. aside from that. And and I heard Mel Brooks became friends with Alfred Hitchcock. He did, he did, because he wanted to uh, uh, 
the uh, um, high, high anxiety. anxiety. Yeah. He wanted he wanted his approval. He wanted his uh, blessing. And uh, you know, Mel has a lot of great Alfred Hitchcock uh, dinner stories. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Bogdanovich told us a couple too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he yeah. Was, uh, what? Did, and uh, he had a prominently displayed a picture of him and Hitchcock and Anne. Uh, at, uh, in, in his office. So, yeah, he was, uh, listen, you know, Where, just just to be with, uh, in their presence, people. Sure. People like that. Sure. Where, where did Rookie Karoka come from in, uh, in uh, my favorite Karoka. year? Because it's a stroke of genius. Karoka, Karoka. was a real guy. <laughs> and there was a guy, uh, Martin Charnin, who wrote the music for Annie. Oh, yes, I know the name. Um, and wrote the book. And Martin Charnin's father-in-law was Rookie Karoka, and he was a bantamweight. Hilarious. A Filipino <laughs> bantamweight. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> you, you can't. So. Speaking of great casts, I mean, and I, I have a, a, a great fondness for that movie. I mean, uh, Bill Macy, Lou Jacoby. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, yes. Adolph Green. Uh, 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 Lainey Kazan, Joe Bologna. Yeah. Just. That's the best thing I think Joe ever did. Oh, he's wonderful. Yeah. Playing Sid Caesar. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he is just, just great. He, he was so comfortable and uh, yeah, that, that, that cast was, uh, at first, uh, I guess the first person in the door for that was Tom Hanks. For the Marklin Baker part. Yeah, the Marklin yeah. Baker role. Yeah. And um, he was just too tall. You know, it's, it's tall, it, we fi- we figured tall, shorter, shorter was funnier than, yeah. than, a, than a tall. And then he went on, obviously, to do uh, a splash. And and it's funny, like Joe Bologna, who's played tough guy parts in yeah. shows. And, and I heard that Sid Caesar... Had like he had a, a temper and he was a strong oh, yeah. guy. Yeah, he was. He was. Mel has a great story about Sid. Uh, was he was? I don't know where they were, but a cabbie cut him off. Oh yeah, you know this story. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, do you he loves to tell it. Do you remember yeah. birth? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, I I love when because Mel's stories just morph. All the time, they become. Oh yeah, <laughs> but tell the story with the cabbie. It's a hysterical. So the cabbie story. cuts Mel off, and he uh, cuts Sid off, and Sid pulls uh, pulls around the cabbie, blocks him, <laughs> and so that the cabbie cannot move, and gets out of the case. Says, "No, Sid, don't, don't, don't." And he goes in, and the the cabbie sees him coming. It was a big guy. And he reaches his hand into the to the window, and the cabbie is rolling up the window, and there's about that much, there's about eight inches of space, and he grabs him around the neck, and he says, and he's trying to drag this guy through the eight inches of space, and the cab the cab driver's head is at the window, and he says, "Do you remember birth?" <laughs> 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 but they had, they had, they he pulled him out through the vent window. Yeah, yeah. they had a yeah. great, great time. You know, the, there was another story where Mel uh, well, took, took, uh, took uh, um, 
Let me use a sidekick now. Uncle Goopy. Oh, Howard. Oh, Howard, Howard yes. You know this story. Oh, yes, yes. He, he yeah. took him out to Central Park. Yeah. And he held him up. At, he had a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, he said, if you, he took his wallet and he said, if you tell anybody, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he didn't give it back to him until the end of the till, till he, <laughs> Till the end of the season. So I, I heard, too, uh, I, maybe this is Mel Brooks telling <laughs> He said then later on, he he apologized to Howie Morris, and they <laughs> met again. I think they took a rowboat ride, and That's... he held him up again. <laughs> <laughs> and he made him walk in the lake. <laughs> 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 Love no, he, Howard Morris. No, oh, was, he was, was great. So that, as time winds down here, uh, Norman, we could we get some wild card questions here. Do you want to? Oh, wait. Go ahead. You, go quick, ahead fire quick away. Howie Morris story. Okay. Yeah. I was at one of these autograph signing, probably the one you drove me to. Yeah. Oh, the one in, the one we went to together. Yes. In Sherman Oaks. Yes. yes. Where you picked wow. me up like a pedophile in your car. <laughs> I did. I dragged him to an autograph show and 20 I, years ago. I was walking... <laughs> And as I walk by one table, I didn't see who was there. And I hear this guy scream out, it's that loud mouth fucking Jew. <laughs> and and I turn around. Who could be saying? I turn around and it's Howard Morris. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah, Don Knotts was there and Norman Fell. Oh, my Adam God. West. That yes. was a day. Yeah. That was a day. <laughs> so we could ask you about Pavarotti because I'm fascinated yeah. by uh, by Yes, Giorgio, but also because you work with the great Franklin Schaffner, who directed yeah. Planet of the Apes and Patton, Pat and, and Papillon and, and Papillon and Gilbert's oh, favorite, The Boys yeah. from Brazil. Oh my uh, God, great! Yeah. You, so you, worked, he, you worked with him. I, I was I was amazed that he wanted to do this. I, uh, why, why? And I the, the first thing I said to him, I went to his house, and I said. There will be no funny tank scenes in this. And he said, I understand. <laughs> he, looked, he looked like Dwight D. Eisenhower. <laughs> he, was so, he was so patrician. Uh-huh. He was so, such a, a, a great man, a great man. And I, I, to this day, I don't, I don't know why. The movie right. was Yes, Giorgio. Yes, it was based, Giorgio. based on a book. Or C. Giorgio. C. Giorgio. <laughs> I still remember Gene Siskel's line from the review. Where he was, where uh, there's the line about Finney will water you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm saying I don't want Finney to water me. Yeah, <laughs> but so you like to say you ended Pavarotti's screen career completely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think MGM wanted to bring back the musical, the 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 Mario Lanza musical, and he never stepped foot on a, an opera stage. But uh, Pavarotti was the biggest star in the universe at that point, and uh, t- totally. Delightful man. I could not. I've n- I never saw him eat. He always went off somewhere. <laughs> but he was. He was. He wanted to succeed, and he. Uh, he said he'll lose. He'd lose fifty pounds before the filming, and I remember we we had Kate Jackson at one point, and she went to Cher and said, "Should I do this film?" And and Cher said to her. Never do a film with a star you can't get your arms around. Oh. And so she backed off. And we got... Um, Catherine uh, Harold. Ca- 
Kitty Harold, yeah. who was yeah. who was Albert Brooks's girlfriend at the time. By the way, that session that you did with the, with his brother with Einstein with Cliff, yeah. oh, with yeah. the, uh, Bob, 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 yeah. Bob was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Isn't He's he the a, best? Oh God! Oh yeah, howled. howled. <laughs> yeah. What a, he just comes out of the gate. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. We'll do what another a family, one and I know I know the other brother, the third brother, Cliff, right, who's in advertising, right. Guy. But Pavarotti was Pavarotti was great. He 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 had such a sense of uh, you know, of of he was so regal, and he it, literally I walk into restaurants with him in 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 Italy, and I'd started going like this, <laughs> waving to the crowd. But he was revered and. Um, you know, was it a mistake? Probably, probably not. But you know, what the hell? Who's gonna? But I, I, I had two films coming as my favorite year, and 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 uh, Pavarotti and this Yes Giorgio, and they said, "How could that guy write these two films?" There's so <laughs> one was so wonderful. The other versatility. One, yeah, but it, it, I would. It was a great. I have a wonderful picture of my son, who's now thirty-five. Uh, and Pavarotti with the same hat on. He's in. He's in a backpack, and Luciano's right next to him. I. I it was. Uh, you know, the, this memory for me is 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 so vivid and so wonderful. And every time, every time he was at the Metropolitan, I would go to see him, and uh, he he's astonishing, astonishing. I, I loved him. You brought up when things were rotten when you walked in the room yeah. before. <laughs> One Gil- Gilbert and I have a lot of fond memories of, and that cast: Dick Van Patten, Bernie Coppell, and, uh, and Richard Dimitri. And Richard Dimitri, one was of the funny. funniest, one of the funny. And he was also he was also in Johnny Danger. That's correct. That's right. He played uh, Roman Maroney, who says things like "call people fogging ice holes." <laughs> <laughs> And and in fact, there's a hockey team in South Dakota called the Farging Ice Holes. So Richard, Richard, one of the funniest people. In, uh, that whole cast was great. I yeah. can't believe that show lasted 13 episodes. Barry Diller. Yeah. Barry Diller said, I I can't have this on my network. We canceled, with a, I think, a 28 share. But it was the, the era of Barney Miller and, and Starsky and Hutch. And so they were fat with hits. Right. And, no, it was so much fun. We had two sound stages and it, it, horses and <laughs> uh, and all the costumes from the original Robin Hood. Wow. Yeah. And uh, that was, uh, you know. Uh, it's another one of those Mel Brooks projects that has a great affinity for movies. Yeah. For old movies. Absolutely. You know? And then he, did, he, then he did Men in Tights. He did Men in Tights. And I called him and said, do you want me to sue you now? <laughs> So <laughs> what are you talking about? We probably should have done it as as a film. And and I'm getting a signal. Well, we we, we could wrap it in a couple of minutes, and okay. I just I want to give Norman a chance to plug. Uh, his, oh yes. his course. Absolutely. But I uh, but I also we we quickly want to ask you if you have a Pat McCormick story. I I did a pilot with Pat McCormick because <laughs> we'd be remiss if we didn't. It is it's called the Bay City Amusement Company. Yeah. And he played one of the uh, one of the writers. And the first day he came in, he waving a piece of paper. He said, "I just got my license. I can shit in the streets." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then he sat down at the typewriter and said, this is Lenny Bruce's old typewriter. It's got four extra Fs on it. <laughs> but you know, you know that famous line he said to Johnny Carson when, when the earthquake hit. Remember this line? No, I don't know it. The line, the earthquake hit, <clears throat> and on camera, the studio literally moved. And Pat ran out and whispered to Johnny Carson, and and as soon as things settled, <clears throat> Carson said, "The God is Dead rally is canceled." <laughs> <laughs> he, he really was so he was brilliant, wasn't fast. he? Now, yeah. Now, yeah. I want to know if you've heard this story, and if not, I'll just cut it out. <laughs> you <laughs> the, going for the helicopter? The, yeah. <laughs> the, this one that um, Pat McCormick used to get together all of his writer friends, and each one would try to outdo the other as far as uh, for their, like, big dinner of the year. And when it was Pat McCormick's turn, he... He took everyone by limousine to this heliport. And and then they were all given a bag with a a tuna sandwich and an apple in it. And they were like thinking, what the hell's this? Because they were used to being right. extravagant restaurants. And each one were led one by one into the helicopter, and there'd be a hooker in the helicopter who would Below the guy, <laughs> as the helicopter would circle the guy's house, <laughs> and and one of the writers that night went home, and uh, sh- uh, his wife said, "So how was your evening?" And he goes, "Oh, um, okay." <laughs> and he goes, "How was yours?" And she goes, "Well, it was okay, but there was a helicopter <laughs> circling my house." <laughs> Now, Tim Conway kind of confirmed yes, it. Yes, yeah. yes. I was doing a commercial with Tim Conway, yeah. and I said, look, um, I heard this story. It can't be true. Uh, uh, Pat M, and uh, yeah. that's all I got out. Pat M, and, 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 and Tim Conway goes, helicopter. <laughs> and I go, yeah. And he goes, and he just nods. He died. Um, he, he was at the actor's home out uh-huh. in Hidden Hills or wherever the hell it is. And uh, somebody came, and he was sharing a room, you'll like, this is good trivia, with Stanley Kramer. Oh, my God. Oh, and Pat Stanley, McCormick it was and Jack Stanley Riley Kramer. came into the room, and he said, Pat, I see you finally got a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> That's phenomenal. Yeah. There's so much, Norman. There's so much we oh can cover. Oh, my God, yeah. We didn't ask about McLean Stevenson or Alan King or, or McLean, uh, yeah. Free to Be uh, yeah. You and Me and a lot of other stuff. And Johnny Dangerously we barely touched on and Wise Guys. But tell us about tell us about uh, your classes. And oh, you, I, and I have do. a program um, at Long Island University in Brooklyn. And we meet at the Steiner Studios. You know, are you familiar with Yes, sure. Steiner's, it's... 12 sound stages going to 25 and there are eight, eight shows shooting there. And it's, it's a program called TV writer studio and it, it's uh, in its eighth year. And it, it's uh, talk about passing it on. This is, this is great. These, these kids want to be writers. Uh, there's never been a better time in history 
television. Yeah, it's a renaissance. Television, television, yeah. Television is in its golden age. And I, I go out all across the country to recruit uh, writers. I take about 20 writers uh, a year. And it's it's uh, it's been a joy. Uh, so this uh, is like your giving. Yeah. To the this writers. is a, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, this is what Belkin uh, told you to do so many yeah, years ago. I wanted to I wanted to get out of uh, Los Angeles. So did I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I'd met you and you'd given me that advice. We didn't. All well, those years ago. I, I wish I had given myself that advice. Yeah. I think it's, I, find a place. I, find a home. It's a yeah, uh, yeah. This is home. And and yeah. anything else you need to plug? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> You're writing again. Yeah, I'm writing. I'm doing the a book for a musical uh, with a guy named Charlie Fox and Arthur Hamilton. Charlie Fox wrote "Killing Me Softly." The Charlie Fox. The, the Charlie the, Fox. Love American style theme. Exactly. And, 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 uh, uh, ready to take a chance again. And oh, wow. Yeah. Barry Manilow. He's wow. a legend. Yeah, Charlie Fox and Arthur Hamilton, who wrote Crimea River. Wow. Uh, we're doing um, a musical version of uh, School for Scandal. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. And then next, I'm going to do Johnny Dangerously. That's when Michael Keaton is free he, as a producer, not, not, not a star. So Charlie Fox wrote Ready to Take a Chance? I believe yeah. he did. Yes, he did. Charles S. You Fox. You remind yeah. me <laughs> I live in a shell safe from the past. I'm doing okay, but not, not very well. <laughs> no jolts, no surprises. <laughs> No, no crisis, crisis arises. arises. My life, life goes along as it should. <laughs> it's all very nice, but not very good. And I'm ready to take a chance again. Ready to put my love on the line with you. He sang this to Chevy. You're living with nothing to show for it. You get what you get when you go for it. And I'm ready to take a chance again. Ready to take a chance again with you. When she left right. me in all my despair, <laughs> gonna do the whole song. I just held on. Would you apologize my to Charlie was all gone <laughs> Till oh, I found it. you there, and I'm ready to take a chance again. Ready. <laughs> Great. Great. He doesn't sing for every guest, Norman. You should be honored. And I want to tell our listeners to, uh, if you haven't seen my favorite year, do so immediately. Thank you. Norman Steinberg. Thank you, thank you buddy. Thank you. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Oh, I, thank you. And I am a dedicated fan. I you really are an entertaining thank fellow. You. I, I, you, you lost a job. Yeah. Up <laughs> you lost a job because you had, because you said, no, I think Gilbert Gottfried's funny. <laughs> that, that, that's how I'm looked upon. By the way, what was that, that they fire people <laughs> for saying that? What was that thing about my comedy and music being connected, by the way? Uh, oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think we blew that to shit. Thanks, Norman. Thank you. Thank you.